Hey there, I'm Amanda Soler, founder of SoulfulLiving.com and creator and host of this podcast, Soulful Connections. This podcast offers a way to connect the dots between the lives we're living and the lives we want to live. You'll get to meet or get to know better people in our community who are willing to share what makes their lives meaningful, what brings them joy, and even how they've overcome obstacles that have been thrown their way. So find a cozy spot or keep driving and doing what you're doing, and let's connect. Let's talk about connection. Today, I have the great joy of interviewing my father. John Sullivan is a married father of three. He attended Villanova University, followed that by attending Temple Law School, served in Army Intelligence, worked for the Navy. During his life, got a master's degree in theology. So I could interview my dad every day and never get tired, tired of it. And I could also interview my mom, but she won't let me. Um, but today I'm, I'm kind of interested in like the difference between what you expect from life, what life actually is, how you shape your life, how life shapes you. So in any case, welcome dad. So pandemic, we're just coming off a pandemic. How, how was it? Well, the pandemic was ushered in after your mother was hospitalized in an emergency situation. We didn't realize the extent or the horror that it would bring. Our reaction was the failure of the federal government to take the reins and help people was atrocious. Other than that, we tried to follow with the scientists and doctors and medical personnel told us. Mask, when vaccinations were available, we vaccinated, we social distance. Yeah, yeah. How was it just being, you know, not able to go to lunch or to do the things that you typically would do? Did that create well, a challenge? Well, first of all, we were confined by the hospitalizations of your mother. So the pandemic didn't really force us in. Your mother had four major surgeries over a five month period. And so we were unable to go anywhere anyway. And, and subsequently her recovery time also restricted what we did. So the, the pandemic just continued what we had been experiencing for several months. Right. And how is it now? How are things now? Things are now are
it's it's changed. The world is not the same as it was before the pandemic. The vestiges of the pandemic are still with us. We haven't convinced every American to follow the scientific advice. It brings to mind New Zealand. New Zealand immediately went into social distancing, masking, and when the vaccines were available, vaccinating. New Zealand currently has no COVID-19 cases. It's interesting because I was listening to a New Zealand journalist talk about dark tourism where people go to have these really crazy, dangerous adventures. And he said, well, I'm here in America and I consider that dark tourism because I left a country that was saved and I came to a country that is not essentially. Um, can you, I know it's a leap, but can you kind of talk about your childhood, what that was like when you were, what was it like your growing up? Well, I was born and lived in Southwest Philadelphia for the first nine years of my life. My father had been a manager of an American store and he lost his job when they started to expand into supermarkets and he became a laborer. I was the oldest of nine children. So we did not have much money or possessions and our house was never owned. We always rented. When I started school, in a parochial school, the first grade was 50 boys in one room and a like number of girls in another room. In fourth grade, uh, middle of the fourth grade, we moved to an estate run by nuns and converted into an academy. It was on my ninth birthday that we moved. We lasted there only a few months because it was so isolated. My sister suffered an injury that scared my parents and forced them to move back to Delaware County, where my father obtained a job as a laborer. So there was and we wound up living, housing was scarce during the World War II, and it was during World War, War that, World War II that these events occurred. So we lived in a government housing project probably until I was 21, 22 years old. And then we moved to a more traditional house. That about accounts for my childhood. Yeah. So what did you expect of your adulthood? So when you were a boy, did you have kind of an expectation? This is when I grow up, this is what's going to happen. Absolutely not, because we were very poor. I can, I can, I can tell you one of the things we did when we lived on a project. My brother and I and my father would walk about two miles to a dump gather wood in a wagon. We might take several trips, be very cold. 
In those days, it was a choice between gloves on your hands or on your, I mean, your socks, whether to wear them on your hands or your feet. We would chop that wood up because the house had no central heat. There was a furnace in, fueled by coal in the living room and a cook stove in the kitchen, one floor. My brother and I would chop up the wood and put it in bushel baskets and sell it for 25 cents a bushel, five bushels for a dollar. Many's the time that put food on our table. As to what expectations, the project was in a community essentially of three sections, one called the village and one called Lower Town and the project. The people on a project were looked down upon by the other sections of the, of the, of the community. Uh, not everybody on the project was poor because the problem with housing in World War II was acute. Some of our neighbors were military officers stationed at the Navy Yard. But for those that were poor, such as our family, there were no horizons. There was no hope. You had nothing to look for. My parents sent me to parochial high school. The only thing a kid wanted, knowing that there was no future for him, was finish high school, get a job. That's what everybody did. So there was no... I want to be this or I want to be that. Interesting. So then when you, um, how did you find yourself at Villanova then, if that was the case? Interesting story. Before I graduated from high school, I was not a good student because I didn't pay attention. I didn't study. If anybody had ADD, it was me. However, in, in my senior year, after taking several aptitude tests, Father O'Connor, who was the guidance counselor and later became Cardinal Archbishop of New York, interviewed all the seniors. And during my interview, he encouraged me to go to college. In fact, he told me of a university that he could gain entrance to for me. I laughed. I'm the oldest of eight. My father's a laborer. How am I going to go to college? Where is the money coming from? You know, I didn't say this to him, but I thanked him and left. I was 17 when I graduated, unable to get a job, a good paying job, so I went to work in a supermarket. When I turned 18, I went to Sunship. They employed me, sent me to ship fitting school for 14 weeks, three hours a day and made me a third class ship fitter. After several months, and it was a very dangerous job, I was able to get another job in my hometown, Westinghouse Electric, and use the skills that I was taught at Sunship at Westinghouse. During the summer of 1954, I was in my cousin's wedding, met a young woman, college student, had a few dates with her. She told me 
at the end of the summer, it's been a great summer. I'm going back to college. I think you should too. I went to my mother and I said, mom, I want to go to college. My mother looked at me. I went to my mother for everything. My mother looked at me and she said, uh, okay, John. No, not John. She always called me Johnny. Never. My dad was John. I was Johnny. You can live here. You don't need to pay me anything. I'll feed you, but I can't help you. But I was on that. And I said, well, I said, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to go about it. This is August. And uh, she said, go see Father Hub, who was our pastor. I trot over to Father Hub, who tells me, go see Father Walsh. Sends me to Father Walsh. I go see Father Walsh. He said, where do you want to go? I said, Villanova. He said, I have a contact, Father Burke. So he sends me to see Father Burke. I go over and interview Father Burke, and he says, okay, send me a copy of your cran transcript from high school and a copy of your SAT score. And I looked at him, and I said, what's the SAT score? He said, okay. He said, we have a test here that we give in cases like yours. At that time, there were a lot of veterans coming back from the service going to so uh, I go off and I took the test, calls me up, come back, and he looks at me and he says, I received your high school transcript. What makes you think you can go to college? I said, I, I said something wise. I don't remember exactly what. And any rate, he said, well, you did okay. He says, in fact, you did pretty well on the test we gave. He says, what do you want to what do you want to study? I said, journalism. And he looked at me and he said, I'll accept you in the art school and social studies program, but you're on probation. Apply yourself or you're out of here. I'll make the short story. I'll make the long story short. I didn't realize until much later, until after I graduated, Father Burke had monitored my progress through this four years of college. And a couple of times when I was probably in danger of not finishing, it was his intercession that kept me there. So that's how I got to college. That's amazing. I didn't, I didn't realize that. And also, you're so smart and so literate and so well read that it's always hard for me to even picture you not doing well in school. Not doing well wasn't a, a lack of intelligence. It was a lack of, of dedicating to the process. Yeah. I remember you telling me once when I, about when you were in college, I asked you, I can't remember the exact question, but your response was, dad, I just can't stand to be in the classroom that long. Right. When I would go in the classroom in high school, remember what I told you. I didn't have any expectations that, you know, right. what is algebra going to do for me? What is physics going to do for me? You know, so I daydreamed. Yeah. yeah. And I still managed to pass tests, but I don't know how. Yeah, I, I can relate to that. 
So fast forward to you met mom because you both worked together. And when you then, you know, got married to mom, then what was your expectation? Then what, what were your hopes? And Well, this is sensitive, so I don't really know. Uh, the year at the end, after, after college, I got, I received a senatorial scholarship to law school. I spent a year at the law school, married at the end of that year, but we immediately got pregnant. And my only source of income then would be your mother, who back in those days, there was no such thing as maternity leave. So there was no money to go forward. So I felt I had, I had also joined the Naval Reserve. When I went to college, I told them that I, I was going to college and they put me in something called the standby reserve. So I knew that I had a service obligation, but I knew also that I could probably get out of it by just staying in the reserve or since my wife then, my wife was pregnant, I could get a deferment for that. But I felt an obligation to serve my country because I had these deferments and they tolerated me to go through these schooling. So I enlisted in the army. Uh, the, the army uh, sent me to uh, a communication school. It's the best way I can describe it. And I spent a year, almost a year in army schools and then was stationed in England for two years. And how, what, what is the role of, because you went to parochial school, right? We all went to, your kids went to parochial school, Catholic school. What is the role of your religion or of faith, spirituality in your life? Hmm. I know that's a big question. I am who I am because of my religion, as simple as that. We're all products of our environment and our education or lack thereof, our affluence or lack thereof. So I know what it is to be poor, and I know what it is to not worry where your next meal is coming from. So go back to your question. I lost my train of thought. So what I was saying is what is the role of religion and faith and spirituality yeah. in your... Well. When I was five years old, I started in parochial school. I graduated from a Catholic college. I have a degree from St. Charles Catholic Seminary. What has changed over life, you know, I think of the, of, of, uh, the reading from one of Paul's epistles, when I was a child, I thought as a child, I reasoned as a child, and I spoke as a child. When I became an adult, I put away the things of childhood. So when I look at first grade and the catechetical experience is, uh, who made you? 
God made me. Why did God make you to love and serve him in this world? What happens then? We'll be happy with him in heaven. When I got to college and the seminary years later, people were questioning the simplicity of those catechetical questions and answers. So my curiosity led me to go to the seminary to see what the teachers were learning and why they were teaching. So I am who I am and whatever I may be because of Catholicism and most importantly, because Christian Christianity, not necessarily any one religion in Christianity, but Jesus is central, his teaching, the gospels are central to my thinking and the way I conduct my life, mm -hmm. or better still, try to conduct my life. So, you know, we talked about your expectations and your hopes for yourself. Do you have expectations for your family at this point? Do you have? I, the happiest things in my life are my children and my grandchildren, my sister. My family has always been central. It's the way I was raised. My mother, loyalty to the family came first and foremost. I'm happy. I think every one of my children has achieved the success that they sought. I look at my grandchildren who delight me. They all are achievers. Each one is unique. There is no one stands out above the others. Each one at some time or another does something that's so cheering and pleasing, but they all, um, they all are achievers and I love them all. There, there's nothing I expect from them except to let me enjoy their lives with them. So in terms of expectations for your family, I'm going to leap off that and just say, like, what do you hope? Maybe not what do you expect, but what, do you, what are your hopes for just the world in which we live? Hmm. I know that's a, a big question. Well, I don't expect much to change simply because we're all human. And humans make mistakes. The the diversity in the world of religions and people using religion to justify their actions relies many times my ideas of what I as a Christian should do and would hope that others of other religions would do, but that doesn't happen. I don't think you're going to change evangelicals from the way they operate. I don't think you're going to change the political system in the United States. It is my belief that there are too many people elected to government offices, legislatures, who are incompetent, uh, lack integrity, 
Not to say that there aren't intelligent people in the Congress with integrity, but for an example, when the governor of Florida is telling people to not wear, or to telling school boards that they can, cannot mandate masks, and the scientific community is saying masks are what's required, vaccinations are what's required, I see it as hypocrisy on his part, and he's just an example of many who are emulating him, in that he and his wife have been vaccinated. So uh, what do I expect? I don't expect a lot of change in the near term. Thierry de Chardin, a Catholic Jesuit theologian, had a belief that the world because God created it, was evolving to the good. And eventually the good would triumph. I hope he's right. Now we're going to just do some favorites, just a few favorites. And it just, it can be not your favorite of all time. It can be just in this moment, a favorite that pops into your mind because I, you're, you read a lot. So a favorite book. What's a favorite book? I have no one favorite book. I mean, uh, the book that probably most influenced me, but not necessarily my favorite book, is the scriptures. Um, I like I like biographies. I like histories. I like uh, uh, crime stories. Um, but I don't have any one book that I could say, that's the best book I ever read. What about quotes? like a quote that just kind of jumps out in your mind or that you kind of think about as you go through life. Is there any quote like that? Well, yeah, there's several. I, I, again, with my background, I quote Jesus, uh, love, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. And there's another one. I think it was Ralph Walter Emerson that comes to mind. A foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds. So that about sums up, because I have a lot of quotes. I love quotes. Uh, oh, I like, I like a quote from Kurt Vonnegut. We are what we pretend to be. So pretend to be what you really want to be. I love that one. Um, what's a perfect day to you? Describe a perfect day. A perfect day happens every day. I wake up, I'm on this side of the grass, my wife's beside me, my children are alive and well, my grandchildren are alive and well. That's a perfect day. What about a place you've been that, if not is a favorite place, just a place you remember loving, like a destination? Hmm. Or maybe a place you would return to if it were really easy to travel and you could just hop there. Well, as you know, I traveled to a lot of places when I was working for the Navy. I've been around the world. I've been in many countries. I stood on top of the Tower of Pisa. I was at the top of the Eiffel Tower. I've been to Singapore, Korea, Europe. I mean, um, Two, 
two cities that stand out for me are Edinburgh in Scotland for its cleanliness, also Singapore for its cleanliness. Um, also, what impressed me at Singapore, having read many World War II stories, there's a hotel in Singapore known as the Raffle Hotel. And in it, there's a long bar. In fact, it's called the long bar, where the uh, Singapore sling drink was invented. And the entrance to the bar is up several steps is a wide veranda and there's a bamboo curtain and when i first went there to enjoy a singapore sling as i viewed the veranda as i approached it i could just picture the japanese soldiers the conquerors marching up the steps and it was just a great experience. I spent about a week in Singapore. Um, what uh, you might not, this is a hard question I'm learning because I've asked a couple of other people, best advice you were given and worst advice that you were given. Do you have anything that pops into your mind about that? I don't remember any worst advice because one, I filter advice. So best advice probably was go to college. And then just last question, what do you wish others either knew or would read or would do? Like if you could say that, if you could give advice, what would that advice be? know yourself and as me as a christian it's difficult to tell somebody say who's not a christian do this if if i could give any advice i guess i would have to go back to what jesus said love god love your neighbor as yourself and they refer to that as two commandments, but I consider it three. Jesus said, love God, that's one. He said, love your neighbor, that's two. In that, he said, love yourself, that's three. So I would say, love yourself, but remember the other two. And I think that's a perfect way to end. Thank you so much for doing this, Dad. Yeah. Hey, thanks so much for listening. Thank you to the talented musician, Bill Aronson, who gifted me with the intro to this podcast. And thank you also to my associate producer and bestie, Roseanne Griffiths, for all of her guidance and support. If you have anything to share with me about the podcast, ideas for the future, topics, please send me an email at soulfullife at gmail.com. That's S-O-L-F-U-L-L-I-F-E at gmail.com.